Okay, we are in Acts, and I'm going to read again Acts chapter 9, reading from verse 1. Acts chapter 9, reading from verse 1, this is the conversion of Paul. Now Saul was still breathing his threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so if he found anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground... And though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus, named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street, call straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, He said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Okay, so here is Paul, or Saul, in verse 1. And he was still breathing his threats of murder. He hadn't changed his heart at all. It wasn't like he was having second thoughts about the stoning of Stephen. It wasn't like he was saying, oh well, maybe, maybe I've been a little bit too hard on these disciples. The scriptures say he was still breathing his threats. And in this state, he was on his way to Damascus to bring those disciples of Jesus that had fled, to, and, and any disciples of Jesus around the synagogues there, the Jews there that were disciples of Jesus, bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial and to have them thrown in prison. So in this state, God visits him. Jesus appears to him on this road to Damascus in a a burst of light. And God doesn't say, oh well, I think that I'll wait till he just turns around. Let him change his attitude a little bit. When his attitude about Jesus changes, then I'll think of visiting him. When he asks me for forgiveness, then I'll forgive him. If you are waiting for the world to ask you for forgiveness, you're going to be waiting an awfully long time. God did not wait for Paul to come and ask him for forgiveness and say, you know, I was really sorry that I was holding the cloaks and just in one accord with them when they were stoning Stephen. It says he was in full agreement with it. He never came and said, you know, I'm really sorry about this, that I'm going to Damascus. And as he's riding on this horse or he's walking, however he's going, he's not thinking, 
oh, well, you know, maybe what I'm doing is wrong. God, forgive me. No, in his state of utter rebellion, God visits him. God does whatever he wants to do, and he is not bound by our state. God didn't ask Paul, hey, do you want to be knocked to the ground today? He just hit him, and he fell to the ground. God calls us to certain things, and He calls us to do certain things. If you look in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, keep you there, your finger there in Acts chapter 9, but turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse, um, verse 12 says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Who here has heard of the Lord's Prayer? Anybody here ever heard of this, the Lord's Prayer? Who here has not at some point said the Lord's Prayer? Everyone here has said the Lord's Prayer. Okay, you are all bound now. That means that you have said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You have asked God to forgive you in the same way that you forgive others. That is what you have asked of God, right? So look what God says in response to your request. Verse 14. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And you say, whoa, that's a little bit too hard. He says, why is it too hard? You already asked, the same way I forgive others, I'm asking you to forgive me. God says, okay, you got it. You don't forgive them, I don't forgive you. You forgive them, I forgive you. If you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you, God says. We have no choice. You say, well, I'm I'm, I'm working on forgiving them. Well, you better hurry up. That's like a man saying, well, I'm working on being faithful to my wife. I mean, you're working on being faithful to your wife. The day you married her, the day you made that commitment, was the day that you decided this. You better start working pretty fast. Because if you're not faithful, she's not going to hang around very long. You deal with this. And if you're having trouble with it, this is why God made knees. You fall on them. You fall on your knees and you beat your breast and you say, God, help me, a sinner. Because you have forgiven me so much. And I can't forgive those who have transgressed against me. God, forgive me and forgive them through me. And you pray that prayer on your knees every day and you ask of God and He will fill you. And you proclaim forgiveness for them even if you don't feel it. Because God is not so much interested in the feeling as He is you taking those initial steps. And as every day you pray, Lord, I speak forgiveness for those people. And then the next day, Lord, I speak forgiveness. You know what will happen? You will begin to sense in your heart forgiveness for those people. Don't let it Stay with you long, because this is dangerous ground. God said, you don't forgive them, I won't forgive you. God didn't ask Paul for forgiveness before he visited him. He just visited him with the power of the gospel. Paul was persecuting Jesus. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? He was in the midst, Jesus was in the midst of being persecuted. And he says, hey Paul, I'm visiting you. You sure you want to persecute me? I can knock you down pretty hard, can't I? 
why don't I just make you blind for three days? You know, sometimes we get full of ourselves and we really think we're something. And God, who gives us sight, just take it away. He just takes it away. And all of a sudden, Paul is blind. And this great man, this learned man, who, who, is, who is the center of every party, who can go and request letters from the high priest and it's given him, he can go to Damascus with troops with him to pull people back. This great man who nobody would dare oppose because, you know, he's the greatest professor on, on, on the campus there in Jerusalem. And any time you'd, you'd say something, he'd be able to, to quiet you with just a word. This great man is walking around like a baby, unable to see. And he has to be taken by the hand. And he's taken by the hand to a house of a man named Judas. This wasn't a believer. Remember, nobody in his midst was a believer. He was traveling with people who would come to drag these Jews back who would, who would profess Jesus. So he's taken probably to the house that he had intended to stay at, to this man Judas's house. And he's there and he can't see. Let me tell you, God take away your sight for three days. And he'll knock all the coolness right out of us. Every breath we breathe is the grace of God. And he's in this house. And he speaks to a man named Ananias. And as he's speaking to this man named Ananias, he says, I want you to go and I want you to go and, and, and pray for this man. Lay your hand on him. Pray for this man so that he could receive his sight. His name is Paul. His name is Saul from Tarsus. He's come from Jerusalem. And, and Ananias says, whoa, Lord, I've heard about that guy. He's come with letters to bring destruction. And God says, look what he says. He says in verse, in verse 11, and the Lord said to him, get up. Go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Okay, so he says, get up and go. He tells him what street? The street is the, is the name Straight. So apparently that was probably the only straight street there because the old streets weren't straight. Happened to be a straight street there. And this man, Judas, was well known enough that all he had to do was go to that street and say, I'm looking for the house of a man named Judas. And they probably all said, yeah, we, we know probably a very prominent Jew there that, that Paul is staying with in Damascus. But he says, interestingly enough, at the end of verse 11, for he is praying. What does that have to do with anything? Why tell Ananias that at this instant he is praying? Why not? He's eating, he's drinking. Well, he wasn't eating or drinking at all. Why, not just, why say that? Because God takes note when we pray. He says, by the way, he's praying right now. He is in the midst of praying. God notices when I pray. You may think, well, does it really do anything? It does a lot. It does a lot. God notices when you pray. And here he is in heaven with all these angels around him and all this stuff going on. And he sees one of his children praying and he says, he's asking me for something. When we pray, God listens. And we may not feel it so, but it is true. God said to Ananias, he is praying right now. I bet he was praying, God, please, my sight back. You say, well, how do you know he was praying that? Because I know anyone who has lost his sight and been without it for three days is praying, God, bring my sight back. The biggest atheist will be praying, God, bring my sight back. 
Look in, in, in James. Keep your finger there. Look in James, the epistle. James. We're going to be reading in, in James chapter 4, verse 2. James chapter 4, verse 2. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Look at that. James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask. The primary reason why we don't receive answers to prayer is because we don't pray. That's the primary reason. The secondary reason is that we may be asking with selfish motives, but in general we don't ask. Or our prayers come out so quick, we don't even remember what they were. And nobody can understand what you said. God says, what? What did you say? What did you ask for? God doesn't even know what we asked for when we pray so quick. God says, he's praying. Ananias, get over there. And Ananias said, you know, this guy's a mean guy. And look at God's response to Ananias in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. I mean, that's it. We are crying and complaining, Lord. And God says, go. He went and he did it. God told him to go. Look up in, in, in verse 5. In verse 5 of Acts chapter 9. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. So look what God does. God tells Paul, knocks him on the ground says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. And Paul's there trembling. And God says, get up in the city and I'll tell you what you, what you got to do. And one, you know, Paul can say, well, tell me now. Tell me now. You want me to go there? You tell me. I'm not going to go there. You tell me. Boom, you're blind. You sure you don't want to go? <laughs> so often our lives are like this. God does not tell us what the future holds. He does not tell us what our careers are going to be. He doesn't map the thing out. We're fortunate if we know six months in advance. And for a lot of things, they come at us day by day. This is the way God works. He reveals a little bit. You walk in it, He reveals more. If we respond to the light that He gives us, He gives us more. If Paul had said, no, I'm not going. You deal with me right here. God said, no. That's it. You can sit out here in this place and rot. You want to know? You get up, you go to the city, and you'll find out. You follow His will, He'll give more light. You follow the will of God, more light will come. This is always the response. God gives light, we walk in it, and He gives us more. God gives light, we refuse to walk in it, and we stay back there, waiting. God is very patient. God will outlive you. And he's very patient. And we say, well, why isn't God ever doing anything new in my life? Well, he's dealing with you. He's asked you to do something and you refuse. And he's patiently waiting for you. God gives light. Will you respond to the light that's been given? And then there's these other guys around. They hear this stuff, but they don't know what, it's, what, what it is, what it means. And we see this all the time. You can have in a church service... One person is so impacted, they're being convicted of their sins, or God is ministering to them, and the person right next to them is asleep. This happens all the time. 
All the time. Some person's getting spoken to, the other person is sleeping. This happens in the Scriptures. You get this beautiful passage, wow, isn't this interesting? You go to your friend, look at this, isn't this powerful? You read it and you're like, huh? Don't you see this? Look what God's doing. Isn't this amazing? Yeah. Okay. That's nice. God speaks to individuals. God speaks to individuals and lots of people around don't hear. This is normal. This happens all the time where God speaks to individuals and don't expect all your friends to say, yes, you're right, I am going to go with you to China. I mean, God's put it on your heart to go. And He doesn't automatically put it on the hearts of everyone else around you and you're wondering, why aren't they excited about this? Why don't they pick up this banner? God gives a different banner to all of us. You know, I, I, I spoke at, at, at the students who are... Who are Rice for Life, the students who, who are, uh, the, the Rice students who, who have this group, pro-life group, and it is a wonderful group. And I'll speak it for their group anytime they ask me to come and talk with them, I'll speak with them about God. I love those folks. And they said, well, why aren't more folks with us? And I said, it's not that people don't care. I mean, how many banners can we carry? God puts on different people different emphases and different burdens, and we carry those. And we do this. I don't expect everybody in Westview Baptist Church to be interested in college ministry. I don't. This is where God has placed me. But different people have different outreaches to international. Some people have outreaches to old people. But you've got to have a banner. You've got to have something. And carry that banner. And be willing to walk with that banner. And so you see that then it goes down and, and he tells Ananias... So, so he tells him to go. Ananias goes in, in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me that you may regain your sight. And, and uh, the message, look up in verse 15. But, but the Lord said to, said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Look at verse 17. I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. What kind of sadistic statement is this? I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. If you just read this at face value, you'd think, what kind of God is this? I mean, he's just drawing Paul in. You know, to just squash him. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I mean, how sadistic is that? If you don't understand the character of God, that would be the normal response. And Paul suffers tremendously, tremendously in his, during his ministry in his life, more than anyone. Turn to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter... 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul just gives just a short synopsis of some of the things he went through to that point. Verse 22, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I far, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been in frequent journeys in, in Frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold, exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So Paul says, you know, I carried the burden of all the churches. You know, I carry a little bit of a burden for this class and like... Isn't anybody going to help me? I mean, he carries the burden for all the churches, and then he goes through all of this. I've never been beaten. Never. I've never been punched for the Lord. I've never been beaten with a rod. I've never been shipwrecked. I mean, Paul shipwrecked three times. God, is this once enough? You know, we've been here before, Lord. This is the third time. I'm here in the middle of the ocean. I mean, I mean, look what the guy went through. And then, looking in Second Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is our weaknesses that keep us seeking the Lord, that keep us crying out to the Lord. We will look at ourselves and we will say, God, why am I like this? Why don't you just change this feature about me and then I'll be alright. And God says, it is that feature that keeps you crying out to me. It is that feature that keeps you crying out to me. You know, I was, I was uh, working with this w- one woman, and, and uh, uh, she was actually our realtor. And she told her husband about me, and just, you know, you've got to meet this guy. Da, 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 da. And she invited me out to this, this, uh, uh, this is the Rich Ladies of Houston. That's not the name of the group. It's, it's something like this Houston Business Women or something like that. And, and I spoke to this group, and, you know, I just... I, I, don't, I spoke about nanotechnology or something or another. And she was just so amazed at all of this. And she knew I taught in the church and stuff. And so she's telling her husband all about, this, about me. And she's some famous lawyer in town. And, and uh, you know, he, you know, her son, just to give you an idea of how, uh, you know, just the physical characteristics about these people. Her son is six foot seven. So both the mom and the dad are pretty tall. So he, then she introduces him to me at this... Uh, at this party, you know, she sees me with Shireen and, and this big, you know, black tie affair and everything, and her husband's with her. And here's her chance to introduce him to me, and she, she says, this is Jim Tour. He looks at me and goes, is that it? I was expecting something far more grand. That's all there is. That's it. The weaknesses that God has put within us are the things that call us crying out to the Lord. It is for good reason that God has chosen the weak things of the world, the base things of the world, and the despised of things that are not. Have you ever said, hey, I wish I looked like that person. If I look like that person, oh man. And God says, 
God forbid it. God forbid it. Because then you'd not cry out to me. And remember, you can't just have their looks without the whole package. And that's what gets me. No, I don't want their whole package. No way. I got a relationship with Christ that I wouldn't sacrifice for anything or anyone to look any other way. Let me read you this portion from, from Charles Spurgeon, the, the, the Prince of Preachers. He's talking about the same point. If it be inquired why the, valley of, why the valley of death must be so often traversed by the servants of King Jesus, the answer is not far to find. All this is promotive of the Lord's mode of working, which is summed up in these words, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Instruments shall be used, but their intrinsic weakness shall be clearly manifested. There shall be no division of the glory, no diminishing of the honor due to the great God. The man shall be emptied of himself and then filled with the Holy Ghost. In his own apprehension, he shall be like a sear leaf driven of the tempest, and then shall be strengthened into a brazen wall against the enemies of truth. To hide pride from the worker is the great difficulty. Uninterrupted success and unfading glory in it would be more than our weak heads could bear. Our wine needs be mixed with water, lest, our brain, uh, lest it turns our brains. My witness is that those who are honored of their Lord in public have usually to endure a secret chastening or to carry a peculiar cr- cross, lest by any means they exalt themselves and fall into the snare of the devil. How the Lord calls Ezekiel, son of man. Amid his soarings into the superlative splendors, just when with eye undimmed he is strengthened to gaze into the excellent glory, the Lord responds, Son of man. And it falls on his ears, sobering the heart, which else might have been intoxicated with the honor conferred upon it. Such humbling might be the salutary message our depressions whisper in our ears. They tell us in manner not to be mistaken that we are but men, frail, feeble, apt to fail. God knows what He's doing in making us look the way we look, in making us have the weaknesses that we have that cause us crying out to God. And that's why Paul says, I am well content with the way that you have made me. I am well content with the miseries that I have been through. I am well content with weakness because it has become my glory and it has become my strength. I did prison ministry for ten years and there would be groups of hundreds of men and I would have to stand up and minister to them. And they weren't in a maximum security prison for skipping Sunday school. And I'd be shaking and thinking, Lord, who am I? Who am I? This Jewish kid, this little Jewish kid to go and to stand before them and preach your word. And I would read the word of God and I would get on my knees and I'd open the scriptures right there before I got on the stage and it would say... Do not fear them. I will make you like a brazen wall against them. As he said to Ezekiel. And I would read that and I said, Make me like a firebrand, Lord. And I'd go up, BAM! Nobody would dare even ask me a question afterward. It is not me, it is God. And what I'm telling you, whatever God has called you to, whatever you perceive as your weakness, as he has told Ezekiel, be afraid to be afraid of them. He told Ezekiel, he said, if you are confounded before them, I will confound you before them. He said, Israel said, we were grasshoppers, we viewed ourselves as grasshoppers in their sight, and so we became in their sight. If I view myself as a grasshopper, 
in what God has called me to, those that I've been called to will view me as a grasshopper. Be afraid to be afraid, God says. I will dismay you before them if you are dismayed. If you walk in dismay before those God has called you to, be dismayed, because God himself will dismay you. But if you say, God, not my strength, but yours. Not my strength. I am not able for this challenge. God says, you're ready. As soon as you say, Lord, by your strength, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word the scriptures and I pray for these young people the power of God to fall on them that they will walk in what you have for them that they will not be dismayed because of their weaknesses they will not be dismayed because of the things that you call them to but father they will walk in your glory and that their weakness will be made their strength and father that as you have brought weakness upon them and as, as, as weakness in their lives may they learn to call on you And Father, as they will go through pains in their lives, let them see that this is all in your plan to make them strong in you so that no man should boast before God. Father, do it in their young lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.